0: Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of Marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. So thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of Women in B2B Marketing. And today we have a very special guest. We have Leela Gill, a CMO at One Health. She's a three-time CMO, so an all-star in our space, everyone, in the B2B space and typically with very high growth companies. So a ton to learn from Leela today. I'm super excited to dive into it. Leela, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jane, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yay. And if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, typical interview type question, right? Tell us a little about yourself and how you got into marketing in the first place.
1: Okay. I started my career as an engineer early and worked in a large enterprise company that was $2 billion and more and realized I was kind of in the back end of the business, as we said back then. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed being in front of people, working with the sales team, and over my career, Being an engineer for whatever it was, five, seven years, I found I started towards marketing and product marketing, product management, and was given an opportunity to apply for a product management job, did that, got and fell in love with the idea of working on the front end of the business. And that's ultimately how I ended up getting into marketing And then uh, beyond that, I joined B2B companies. They're all my whole history has been B2B for the most part. And beyond being an engineer that flipped into a marketing leader, I'm uh, a mom, a mentor, a community builder. And I like to say a sports enthusiast.
0: Love that. I don't know if, if you ever look at our, our podcast art, our cover art right now, it has all of those other terms because I feel like as women, really in any career, but it, women in marketing, we have so many hats that we wear and often it includes mom and mentor and all of these other other things. So thank you for mentioning that. We're, you are yeah. a lot more than a CMO, for sure. Exactly. Um, and that's really interesting that you started out behind the scenes, right? in product, it probably gives you such a solid perspective as you get into the messaging, because you really get what your product team is doing. And it must be great for collaboration to an alignment amongst the teams.
1: Absolutely. And in fact, I found that my foundation as being an engineer sort of helps me build respect with not only the product teams, but with the technical teams. I tend to really... their lingo. <laughs> I, yeah, well, at least I, I can understand the, the technology behind it and have a conversation with them that's somewhat intelligence. And I geek out a little bit. Sometimes I go back to my engineering roots and I start to geek out on all these terms and I go really deep with them. And we have a lot of fun.
0: That. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you can get nitty gritty with all of the details and then take it back up to have it match your audience and what they'd be able to understand and grasp, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Exactly. I love that one thing that we were talking about in a previous conversation, chatting and prepping for this call, is the process when you first join a company and important things to put in place in those first 30, 60, 90 and more days, especially around KPIs. So can you tell us a little bit about what's been successful for you as you started at new companies, what set you up for success in the very beginning, and what's most important to keep in mind for anyone starting a new job out there?
1: Yeah. So I'd like to speak to the growth market in particular, because when you're jumping into a company that's trying to really accelerate its growth at the beginning of its life cycle, you're asked to start doing things right away. Like people just panic and like, we need to do events and we need to do more webinars and whatever is the flavor of the day, more advertising. And it's really important to step back if if you're coming in as a leader in these companies to audit where the company is today and make the time to do that. And I would say that primarily the first 30 days of a 30, 60, 90 should be around really understanding where the company is, starting that audit process. And I like to start big picture with customers first, of course. Who are our customers? Are they talking about us? The segments within those customer cohorts What are the metrics around those customers, deal velocity, pipeline gen, when closed one loss, and that kind of stuff? Then I like to take the information from customers and bring it to the sales teams and really talk to and interview all levels of the sales team, not just the leadership, but also the account executives and the BDRs that are on the front lines, really interacting with these customers. And then from there, I start to go a little bit more granular on the audit and I will talk look at the marketing fundamentals. Do we have segmentation? What's our content strategy like? What is our alignment process with the salespeople? A lot of times there is no formal process or communication channels sure. that you set up and mechanisms. So then get into tactics and attribution around paid and CO and databases and one-to-many and one-to-few demand gen tactics and things like that. And then finally, the last thing in that process is looking at Do we have, have we created the space for process improvement and experimentation? In other words, do we build, has that been built into the review process? So that first 30 days, you're getting to know everybody, but also pulling this information together. So at the end of that 30 days, you really can produce something to present to the CEO. Here's my observations. Here's where I think we need to move forward. Obviously, you're also putting the marketing plan together at the same time. So this uh, audit feeds into that process.
0: So that's the first step. That's the first thing. <laughs> and then yeah. Yeah. How did you come to that sort of setup? Have there been any fun or not so fun? Um, what do we call them? Just I guess lessons learned along the way of experiencing something that went wrong or went awry during the first onboarding few months? I,
1: you know, or? I think it's a collective experience that I've yeah. gained over time. And I can say that. Personally, it's just so easy for leaders, especially the sales team, to want you to produce for them right away. Right away.
0: You know?
1: yep. So, for example, and I'm not naming companies here, but yeah. I joined one company and three weeks from the day I started, we had a big event and nobody had been really I mean, they had somebody planning it, but they yeah. just had to really dig in and really create something from nothing on that event and yep. spent three weeks just working on the event to pull together the VIP events, to make sure the invite list was correct, that we were going after the right ICP and didn't have the time to really pull back and spend auditing the company. And so what happens after you're there for 30 days or even 60 days is like, now you're you're part of the team. You should know it all, right? And yeah. you don't have the, <laughs> The time to go back and, I mean, you can force yourself, you can put that into place and say, look, we need to pull this audit together and put it into a quarterly review process, but.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's a really good point, too. And you're bringing back memories of I've been thrown into it before, too, where you want to start out with this kind of sponge mode, I call it, right? Where you're soaking up from everyone, you're seeing, you're assessing everything, meeting everybody, seeing what the current state is. I like your word audit as well. But then you actually get thrown into an event or a campaign that's going on and you have to keep it going or there's a deadline. So you kind of being thrown into it, you do like you become the team already. And then if you take a step back, you almost forget to take that step back and go back to your original plan. And it just seems out of whack. So it might be a good tip for anybody or a reminder for us when we if we start a new position to go in with this plan. And yes, if there's something existing that you'd have to handle first. Just make it very clear that as soon as that's over, you're going back to this plan and reassessing. So doing what we can with this existing project, but then shifting gears to the original plan and getting back into sponge or audit mode.
1: Yeah. And I think having the mindset, being intentional about this is really important. And when I say being intentional, I mean scheduling on your calendar. And there's a couple of ways you can schedule it. A, you can book two hours every afternoon for the first 30 days to do your audit, like literally put it on your calendar and think through that. Or you can pick one day out of the week and say, I'm going to go deep on Fridays, no meetings, don't book anything there because you always, you will be doing things. And so you have to, in growth companies, especially parallel path and deliver at the same time that you're assessing. So it's oh, yeah. it's a tricky balance, but you have to be,
0: I think the big word there is being intentional about it. And scheduling. It. Mm-hmm. So true. And respecting your own, time blocks and plans right not letting existing projects override your plan meaning Mm -hmm. in the middle probably
1: (laughs) yeah and this is when having somebody outside of the company be a sounding board for you can be very helpful as well if you need that extra support so communities like there's lots of marketing communities out there you can Tell people, pair up with somebody and let them know, I just am joining a new company. I'm going, this is my 30, 60 day, 90 day program. Help me hold myself accountable to this Yeah. and use your community in that way as well.
0: I love that. I actually just, um, I'm very big into communities. So completely agree. And somebody in a community that I'm in just reached out um, or was actually just asking generally if anybody had any experience with a freemium model right? So that to, as they were considering that as an option for their product and their company. So we had a whole call talking through how that works, the ups, the downs at my company and just giving her advice. So I love that. Now I'm going to tap her brain for when I, I need help in certain areas too. So it's a great way to meet people and yeah, have that sounding board. Totally agree. Yeah.
1: Since COVID, since 2020, I think the emphasis on community and and having that structure around you is really accelerated. There's so many communities now. It's almost if you don't have a community built into your marketing playbook, it's what are you doing wrong? You know,
0: so true. And mm-hmm. it's almost uh, so saturated, right? I think you and I were joking about how it's hard to keep track of all of the communities now. It's it's amazing, but you really have to pick like your top five that you're active in and keep it at that. Cause once it starts getting beyond that Slack layer and you have to scroll, it's just, it's too much. It's difficult.
1: It really <laughs> is. And I would even narrow it down to two because yeah. five people
0: are you know, like, but yeah,
1: I agree with you. You gotta know Note gotta to be- self,
0: I still yeah. <laughs> have to narrow it down to two. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Another thing, when you first come into a new, a new space, a new company, a really big thing to keep in mind is leadership, right? And your, your presence at the company. What method or strategy do you have in, in coming into a new team you, with your new team, the marketing side, and also all of the teams you collaborate with?
1: So first, I live with a growth mindset. So I think that's really important. And I think most leaders, most of the people I surround myself around, are have that growth mindset. So we're always talking about perhaps we haven't done something yet, but we will get there. And we always look at what are the strengths of the the organization or of the team as a starting point. And I think that general attitude going into a company helps you establish yourself as a leader. I also think being very transparent, which is another way of saying being authentic, honest, holding everybody accountable is also very important in a leadership role and and helps you establish respect. And then just having a fun attitude. You have to make the time, even though it's so often you feel like you are being thrown into the fire, but you have to make the time to just step back and connect with people on a one-to-one basis, learn about their family, learn about what their goals are. And as part of that leadership, building out those OKRs, your objectives, your key results, looking at what they're trying to do for their career longer term, setting up that mechanism is also really important.
0: So true, the human side of things, just making sure you connect with your team.
1: Yeah, and your peers and your colleagues. So not just your team, but your counterparts, your boss, the CEO, understanding who he is or she is and what do they like to do, what, what's outside of work and just connecting, as you said, on the human side is really important. But then establishing effective modes of communication yeah. with those stakeholders and with your team is also really important
0: yeah you're making me think of something too i know something i struggle with we're all busy right everyone that that word is overused so busy all the time our calendars are packed so i always want to connect with my team my colleagues on a personal level but as i do maybe this is just me as I do often, I, I get this feeling of, of anxiety that there's so much we need to talk through and our, our time is almost up on this call and I'm trying to find the balance of connecting on a personal level and then shifting gears naturally into getting on topic for the agenda. And it's funny because I almost wish we could schedule two separate meetings, one just to chat and then maybe that's the answer and one to talk business because I both are so important to me and I think they should be for everyone, but it's so hard when we're all so busy <laughs> to get both done. Have you struggled with that at all? Or do you find a balance or any way to to balance that?
1: Absolutely. I think everybody struggles with that. And first thing I would say is life is what happens in those moments. So even that small talk at the beginning of a meeting is so important. And just asking about somebody's kid or asking about what they're doing for the holiday, those little things, asking it in a way that you indicates that you really care is very important. And then there are mechanisms to have celebrations. I know in all of the companies I've been in, we have always had a fun, like monthly get together with the CEO, ask them anything questions. Oh. I love that, that have been really entertaining. And sometimes people try to put the CEO on the spot and just bringing a sense of humor to those events is uh, really important. And I work as a marketing leader. You know, It's important to work with the HR team to sort of help build the culture inside as well as outside of the company. And I think that's our responsibility as a, as a marketing leader is to help build the culture both inside and outside the company, the personality of the company outside of the business. Yeah.
0: Yeah internal marketing, internal branding, in addition to external, right?
1: hmm absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, another thing that, that we had chatted through is you're very focused on KPIs, as we all need to be. And I think you mentioned NRR is the new ARR right now. So I'm curious, what, what metrics and KPIs are top of mind for you right now? What are you tracking? I
1: think metrics have evolved for marketing leaders or marketing teams over the last three years. Even maybe even the last two years, we used to be measured on MQLs and SQLs and top of funnel leads. And now, what I'm seeing is a sheer alignment with the sales team, like marketing and sales are measured on pipeline and close one rates and looking at quality of those prospects that are coming in. Obviously, that definitely falls with a lot of marketing, looking at making sure that the people that are coming in are are the ICP that we need them to be. And then NRR, net Re- revenue retention, is also the new metric. We're, we're starting to see a lot of webinars on it. And that's about now looking at your reducing your customer churn, if you will, looking at not only how much new revenue you're bringing in, but how much expansion revenue is there as opposed to canceled revenue and monitoring that. So you're looking at just not new sales, but expansion sales. So what that means is customer success is very closely aligned with sales, customer success and marketing also is, the the three groups are very aligned because marketing has to do customer marketing, which is a new term that we've started to hear a lot about in the last two, three years, customer marketing. There's a whole people's jobs are now to find as I'm a customer marketer yeah, versus seen that a lot lately. Yeah, that is an evolution. And I think it's all very healthy for us as marketing leaders to yeah. be aligned with our sales partners and all of us measured on the same, at least focused on the same metrics.
0: Yeah. One person that I spoke with on the show recently, um, her comp is actually tied to revenue too, at the end of the day, just like sales, which has helped with the sales marketing alignment. I think mm-hmm. that's interesting. I don't know how I feel about that for myself, but <laughs> but it's it's just a change of thinking, right? Because I'm so yeah. used to marketing is set and clear versus sales is very commission driven, but it does make sense as they get more and more aligned.
1: A lot of growth companies have that marketing, um, that bonus structure in place, and I do think it's the reason why we're seeing the evolution, and there's, in my world, there's a lot more synergies between the sales and marketing team. There's still tension there, no question. There's always going to be that tension, tension. (laughs) but you, yeah, you're partners and you're trying to achieve a goal, and I think that that attitude has really come about in the last three, four years, at least in the growth marketing companies. I'm sorry, growth companies.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because you have to be looking at the same numbers at the end of the day. You have to agree on the same numbers. And you both want quality, not just fluffy numbers of here. We bought this list of 2000 MQLs that aren't really MQLs. Now go forth and prosper. It just doesn't work that way. So it is great that we're getting more aligned.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: And speaking of aligning and driving revenue and being on the same page with sales there, what channels do you see working now? Uh, speaking of evolution too, right? This has changed so much and what what used to work no longer works, although there's some tried and true channels. So what, what works for you right now or what are you keeping an eye on?
1: Yeah. So the buyer journey, especially in B2B sales has changed dramatically. It's very non-linear. It used to be leads, go to MQLs, go to SQLs. And now... of buyers do their own research, Mm -hmm. and they know all about your product before they even come to the salesperson, right? And the other thing you see is the buying committee is getting bigger and bigger. So the channels have really evolved because people are doing their own homework. So they are talking to their peers, they're looking at influencers or brand ambassadors and talking to those people instead of the salesperson. So the role of the salesperson has evolved quite a bit, which we could talk about from a marketing perspective, if we have a little bit of time. As far as channels go, I think social media is clearly a very popular new not new, but it's it's becoming the norm, right? LinkedIn is now the new email channel, essentially. Everybody's communicating, trying to reach you on LinkedIn and get a meeting with you based on LinkedIn. And I think that that paid advertising is still... Right up there, paid SEO. Those events, luckily, events are coming back and we're going to see more in person events. And I think people are very grateful and excited to do in person events. I think the virtual, I think the hybrid model will probably always continue to be there in some way, but it'll melt away in 2023, provided we all stay healthy, more or less. And of course, all these community organizations have Slack channels. So Slack is another new. Channel that people are trying to use to connect. And I think what's happening is the evolution from traditional email marketing, traditional demand gen to using your raving fans to talk about you. As I said, as brand ambassadors, and which I, by the way, think brand ambassadors are different from influencers, but they're all in the same group. You've got those influencers, brand ambassadors, and raving fans that all you need to. As a marketing leader, need to go after all three of those groups to get them to start talking about you. Yeah, and the way you do that is to build trust, to build relationships, to be a true thought leader, to be a subject matter expert in whatever it is that you're building, and offer that education out to the marketplace. I often say, helping is the new selling. And I love that. uh, I think that that's a really important way of thinking about your sales team as well. So as a marketing leader, one of the things I try to do with my sales team partner is help them become thought leaders and promote them as a thought leader in the industry. Everything from guiding them on their LinkedIn profiles, to how do you post what should you be posting here's an actually emailing the sales team on here's some three ideas that you can use to post about this topic so really helping I think market one of the things I try to do as a marketing leader is help my sales team build their thought leadership
0: yeah that's really smart I know when you say helping is the new selling uh, one person at at my company at just do know came to mind because he's great at this he's a great sales guy but he doesn't even realize or see himself as a sales guy because he's always is helping with strategy, right? So we're a conversion platform. So he helps people with their conversion strategy online, but he'll just email people when he sees it, something on their website and he just emails them some tips without any expectation of a response. I mean, great if they do, but he just loves showing and sharing these ideas. I love it. So if we could get that's the
1: right attitude,
0: yeah, at scale. Yeah, you yeah. got.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's the right attitude. And highlighting his story in a quarterly meeting with your sales team is a great way to get more of those salespeople to emulate that model.
0: Yeah. Yeah, An internal influencer. Maybe that's a new one for
1: us. Yeah. There we go. I like it. Yeah.
0: And I love that you, I want to talk more about this brand ambassador versus influencers versus raving fans. Can you kind of dive into these three for us a bit more? So the way I see
1: influencers, I classify them as. People you pay essentially. And we all know that analysts, for example, say they're not pay to play, but ultimately (laughs) there is that element there, right? And so I see influencers as people that you build rapport with. Maybe you have a product advisory committee or something like that, that is where you have some key influencers. Maybe they're getting stock, maybe they're getting some. Money for what they're doing to help your business, right? So, to me, influencers get paid essentially, and brand ambassadors also get rewards. But they're people that are closer to the company people that may not have you know a million followers, maybe they have 5,000 followers or something like that. But they really know the company, they love the product, and then they are people that will look to go to a conference maybe and talk about your company there at a conference mm-hmm. and they're not looking for monetary or stock as a payment they're but they're happy to be rewarded with gift certificates or uh, swag or things like that. And raving fans are just people that love you and will talk about you with not very much monetary or incentives. They just really love the product. They're a true believer. They're the best influencers. you can get. And as a marketing leader, what I want to try to do is find those raving fans and those brand ambassadors as a scrappy marketing leader, somebody that's trying to get more out of a small amount. Yeah. I'm, Trying to find those brand ambassadors and raving fans to talk about us and help promote them as thought leaders up in the marketplace. Maybe get them a conference gig to speak at a conference, do a round table.
0: Oh, that's yeah. genius. Yeah. Because yeah. it's almost, it's engaging them on a different level, right? Elevating them. And then in return for their love that they're spreading about your company or brand, you're helping them perform their personal brand and get out there more as well. So you're helping mm-hmm. each other. That's yeah. really smart. I like Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Spreading ideas already. Yes. Yeah. And other, thank you for diving into those three. That's really helpful because I never really split them up in that way. It makes sense. Another thing that you mentioned, I want to dive into channel-wise. You told me earlier that you have a love-hate relationship with email marketing. And I love that you said that LinkedIn is like the new email too. It's the new ESP really, in a way. Can you tell us more about your love-hate relationship with email marketing?
1: Yeah. So (laughs) I... nobody wants to spam or over email their prospects it's just nobody wants to do that we don't and yet it's really hard not to add that into your go-to-market your mix of techniques that you use and it's just That's why I have that love-hate relationship with it, because I don't want my companies to be seen as spammy or over-emailing people. So what a technique you can use to get to move away from that is doing more educational newsletters, more newsletters. And those newsletters aren't necessarily always about your content. You can be talking about this is why syndicated content platforms do so well. But as a marketing leader, you can create your own syndicated content s- newsletter that has content pieces from other publications and make it a really interesting newsletter that they're learning something. As I said, helping is the new selling. So make sure you're pulling in content that's really educational, that talks about best practices.
0: This is also making me think of one of the, there's so many phrases I'm realizing in our talk that are just thrown around there right now in the marketing world. But one is you need to build a media company within your brand, right? Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? And is that sort of what you're talking about in a way with the newsletter and syndicating other content and bringing that all together? Yeah, actually,
1: that's a great way of thinking about it. I like the idea. So to me, when you talk about media companies, you're talking about news, you're talking about mechanisms for producing that information out to the world. So video is a big piece of what I would say is a component of that as well. And yeah, I, th- I, I do agree with that. I think you do have to become, in essence, like a media company. You really have to be thoughtful about what you're promoting on that media channel, yeah. whatever that channel might be, But because it can't always be about your company. It has to be more about best practices, examples, even adding provocative, thought-provoking information into that media channel so that people are learning and not just getting that sales message constantly bombarded to them.
0: Yeah. I wish there was an exact science to finding the balance, right? Of educating, 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 small banner selling our product, (laughs) educating, educating. But it's different in every space, every company, for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, what I'm seeing a lot is sort of a I'm not sure if this is so new, but companies are giving away information, especially, for example, if you go to podcasts that on advertising, right, you're going to hear like those companies, those agencies that are talking about advertising, talk about everything, like all their tips and tricks. They'll put that into a podcast and they're doing that because they want you as your, as the prospect to know that they've got that expertise and also that they're happy to share it with you. If you and ultimately, it comes down to how do you want to use your own resources internally? And so they trust that you are going to be, you're again, not trust, they're going to realize that you're going to make your own decisions if whether you're a qualified prospect for them or not. Mm-hmm. And if you're a qualified prospect, you're somebody that's resource constrained, you need an expert, you need to get it done quickly, and you're not willing to maybe train your internal team or you don't have the budget for it. So they're helping you self-select and become the ideal prospect on your own, again, by giving away that information.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So true. Let them have control. It's funny. I see myself on the buyer's side, right? When people approach me with sales emails, if they get my attention, I respond back. I'm pretty transparent with them. Like consider me a lukewarm prospect because I am not in market for this. You just got my attention. Great sales email. (laughs) But I tell them right away, like, don't put me into the next tier of prospects because you'll be disappointed.
1: (laughs) I think a lot of people are doing that i do the same thing and i'll just say look i don't have budget don't even talk to me until you know year one of 2023 or whatever so
0: exactly nobody wants to waste anybody's time
1: yeah yeah Yeah. so
0: well as we head into 2023 and beyond what do you see changing in marketing we know so much has evolved as you mentioned over the last few years what do you see happening in the next few years coming ahead starting next year
1: I think the use of AI is going to become more and more prominent Mm. in marketing. I mean, conversational AI has was introduced a number of years, but I think it's really become almost a norm, a standard. The use of chatbots. I was in a webinar the other day that where they were talk the company I was listening to was saying that they had answered 125 million questions with their chat bot in the year, in that year, and no human interaction whatsoever. So I think the smart AI technologies, the ML based technologies are going to be more and more useful. Obviously, we've got Google taking cookies away. So there's that whole transformation that's going to happen that everybody's getting ready for now. So that's another thing. that's actually
0: happening now, right? Yeah. (laughs) After years of talk. (laughs) Yeah, things look and it's strange. been
1: happening. You know, Mozilla yeah. moved away from the cookies a long time ago. But yeah, you know, we have to face it as marketing leaders. Yeah, we're gonna Don't have to do first first party data. We're gonna have to collect our own. And again, it gets back into providing value so that they're willing to give you your e- their email or their contact information.
0: Yeah. Value and trust, right? So now exactly yeah, you entrust
1: keywords for us yeah, and marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And as a sign off, I know you have to hop off. I want to respect your time. Sorry, we're going over a little bit. What are your two recommendations that you would offer to women getting into the B2B marketing today?
1: So one of the things I like to say is that I heard from, I don't know where I heard this, but I, I it really resonates with me, which is as a woman in marketing, don't ask for feedback, ask for advice. Because when you ask for feedback, you're building critics. But when you ask for advice, you're building allies. And I think when I heard that, I was like, that is spot on. So that would be advice, number one, I would say to any any person, female or otherwise. But
0: yeah. the
1: second would be get a rock star mentor. Go find somebody that you really look up to. And try to see if there's a two-way street there where you can help them and they can help you. I think yeah. having a really amazing mentor can help you in your long term goals. Totally. Just not in not not just personally, not just work-wise, but also just in life-wise. So go find a mentor. Mm-hmm.
0: Leela, are you available as a mentor to any of our listeners? <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I love mentoring. As I said, really I was a wonderful. mom mentor community builder. So love yeah. to mentor and do so through a lot of the communities I'm part of. And anybody can reach out to me. And I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me. I think I'm the only one with Leela Gill out there. So they can connect with me there and we can chat.
0: Perfect. That was exactly what I was going to say next is where everyone can find you. So LinkedIn is the best method, right?
1: Yes. I'll
0: put her link in our show notes, everyone, so you can quickly link to it. But thank you so much, Leila, for your time today. You've shared so many things. I've written a ton down (laughs) that I'll also put in show notes for everybody as takeaways. So thank you so much for your time. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. You'll hear us next time on Women in B2B Marketing. Like, follow, subscribe, et cetera. Share, share the love. Thank you, everybody. Have a good day. Thanks, Jane. Bye-bye. Thanks, Leila.